0: Thanks, Jira and the team. Thanks, Laura. Good morning. I'm Jeff. Great to be back together with you after a a few weeks away. Our first Christmas ever away um, from this church, so um, it was it was great to be with family in Melbourne, but really good to be back home with you. Um, And you know, just in that time of of asking God and sitting with Him and listening, you you may already have everything that you need for today. Or even for this year to, to set you up. You might have everything that you need from God to go, I, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to change or, or to remove from my life and, and, and your head's ready to go. If that's you, just just switch off from whatever I'm going to say. Uh, that's totally fine. Um, occasionally that happens. I've been in that place before to go, I actually don't need to hear what's about to happen. I know, I know what God's already said to me, so go for it. Um, but I get to join our Anchored Faith series, Stories of Confident Hope. And so the way I'm going to do that today is answer three questions that I ask myself and sometimes other people ask me, which reveal my stories of confident hope and reveal my anchors. What are the things that I hold on in life's storms? And any time we talk about storms in life, and 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 as we go through this series, um, we've got to remember it's not a competition. Disaster and storms are not a competition. So, so if anyone ever you know in their message tells a, a story of a storm in their life, the point is not for you to feel sorry for them, or to go, well, I don't have it that bad, and and you feel better about yourself, or or to feel like, oh, that's that that's nothing. It's it's never a competition. And we all go through difficult things and difficult seasons in our life. We're all dealing with our own stuff. And so even today, if I tell some of those stories, um, the point is for you to think about your own storms in life and what are your anchors? What are the things that you hold on to? Can you, do you still have confident hope in Jesus in the middle of your life storms? So the first big question that I ask myself is, why am I still a Christian? Why am I still a Christian? With all of the progress that the Western world has made into science and into atheism, why am I still a Christian? Because in the last hundred years in particular, scientists have learned so much about the universe and so much about human life and about the earth and things that used to be mysteries to us, we now have answers to and we have details about. And then at the same time, things that we used to be really certain about, now we have so many questions about, we're, we're really not sure. So is God just a made-up human idea? H- have you and I believed a fairy tale that there's a God that exists? With how painful life can be sometimes, and, and I know you have your own pain with how random and chaotic life can be, with how damaging life can be. Does God exist? And, and, and if God exists, what is he like? What, what is he good for? How do we know that he is there and that he cares in the middle of life's storms? And maybe your storm is intellectual, that you have so many doubts and so many questions. So why, why would anyone still, in this day and age, be a Christian? When I'm overwhelmed with doubt or with pain, the first big anchor that I come back to is that science and the universe and human life are way too precise and way too detailed for me to believe that they exist randomly. I don't know about you, but this is this. This sermon's about me. These are my anchors, um, and, and I just I'm I'm amazed at how macro, you know, galactic, science is, and what we know about the galaxies, and how micro, and like to the atomic level, science is, and how much we know about what makes up everything. The, the level of precision, the intricate details, the more that science reveals about human biology and plants and animals and weather patterns and stars and black holes and, and everything, all of that tells me there's gotta be something. There's gotta be someone more than this just existing randomly. I, I can't believe that it's all entirely chaotic. And sure, there, there's still chaos in what we understand of the world. And there are plenty of things that we don't know and we don't understand. But for me, there's way too much detail and intention and purpose to the macro galactic and the micro atomic. In the New Testament letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote this in chapter 1. He said, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now, back when this was written... When the sky thundered during a storm, they had no idea why that was happening or or how that happened. They probably thought it was God speaking or doing something or being angry. But these days, we know how thunder works. We know why thunder occurs and what it means. But the the detail, the precision of all of that is still what amazes me. And this is the anchor that I hold on to that makes me believe there must be something more. There must be someone more. This is, for me, a shortcut. This is an anchor that I hold on to in the middle of life storms, to the belief that God does exist. But it doesn't tell me anything about what he's like. It doesn't tell me if he's good or, or where he is when everything falls apart in my life. Which takes me to my second anchor, the evidence for Jesus rising from the dead. So by historical standards of anything that we know about human history, we have amazing, incredible evidence that a man named Jesus lived and died and that people around him believe that he rose from the dead. We know where he grew up. We know what he taught. We know the things that he said. We know that he did amazing miracles. We know that he really lived and he really died. That's that's None of that is particularly unique in history. Everyone in human history has lived and died. But what no one else has ever done is predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off. People have tried and and they just disappear. And, and there were so many people who saw this happen before their very eyes, who saw Jesus and knew he was dead and touched his lifeless body and then saw him alive again. For example, when Mary Magdalene, one of his followers, saw Jesus again for the very first time in a garden on the, on the third day after he had died, in John chapter 20, Jesus said, "'Don't cling to me, "'for I haven't yet ascended to the Father.'" But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. That is incredible. I have seen the Lord. Because they all saw the Lord die two nights ago. But she said, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message that he'd asked her to pass on to Mary, and then the other disciples. And then on one particular day, 500 people saw Jesus alive again, or claimed to. And these things were all spoken about and written and recorded within these people's lifetime. So if they were making it up, no one would have believed them. If they were just lying, they had nothing to gain from this. In fact, by telling this story of a man come back to life, they were attacked and hated and many even killed for what they said about Jesus coming back to life. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose and yet they believed this man was alive. Now, if that's true, that adds so much validity to everything Jesus said and everything he did he claimed to be the son of God, to be God in human form, to be God with us. And so because of that, I, I don't just have this vague belief that a deity exists somewhere in the sky. I believe that I know what God is like because he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And so I know that God understands me and walks with me and suffers with me and even suffered for me. I know that God cares about me. Story time. A couple of weeks ago, I got a tattoo. Now, I know not all of you will like that. And I'm very happy to talk with you about that afterwards and and hear your concerns and, and understand but with some of my extended family in Melbourne, we decided together to go and get tattoos just after Christmas. And one of my cousins wanted to get a tattoo to, to uh, remember and acknowledge our grandma. He always loved her spaghetti that she made. And so he wanted to get a bowl of spaghetti tattooed onto him to remember our grandma. And, and I said, could you go one better than a bowl of spaghetti? You could get the recipe tattooed on your leg So that you can just, you know, make the thing and read the recipe. You know, from... Anyway, he didn't. Um, I got my kids' birthdays tattooed in Roman numerals on my arm. And apart from the sentimental value of, you know, of my kids being on my arm, it's also really helpful for school forms. (laughs) And I figure if I can just get our Medicare number and their latest tetanus booster, then I'll be set for all future school forms. Um, it was my first tattoo, I was, was very brave, I didn't cry, didn't squeal, I toughed it out. And one of the things that I really enjoyed that I didn't expect was the the really deep conversation with the tattoo artist while she was inflicting pain on me. Um, my sister-in-law went first in, in our family group, she was the first one to get her tattoo. Uh, and hers was significant because her husband, my younger brother, um, died three months ago, um, a couple of months before getting the tattoo He took his own life in very complicated um, circumstances. And so his widow, my sister-in-law, was getting a tattoo to um, signify the strength that she needs from God to keep going as the mother of four young children. And so while she's getting her tattoo, she talked about some of this with the tattoo artist. So by the time I jumped in the chair, the conversation went deep really quickly uh, because I was next... And so um, with my tattoo artist, Amy, we talked about some incredibly deep things. She had had six people in her life, suicide over the course of her life. And so we talked about all the big things, about life and death and Taylor Swift. And we figured out pretty quickly that she shared my first anchor, this belief that a God Exists, and so we talked about that that there 's more to life and there 's purpose to life because of that but but right near the end, when she was almost finishing, finished stabbing me with those little tiny, painful needles, she asked, What do you think happens when people take their own life you know, what hap- what What does God do after someone dies like that now most of you know I'm not a very good evangelist. Not really good at, at giving a very clear and simple explanation of Jesus and leading someone to commit their life to him there on the spot. Um, but, but I can tell my own stories and I can talk about my experiences and, and what I believe. And so that's what I did. What I just told you about Jesus and why I believe Jesus' resurrection is so significant is, is what I told her in those final moments. That I trust Jesus because I believe he really did rise from the dead, just like he said he would. And so as she packed up her weapons of torture and wiped the excess ink from my skin, I, I kind of just tried to, to recap the conversation we'd had in the last few minutes. What does God do with someone who takes their own life? I said, I don't, don't know for sure. But I know that Jesus showed us what God is really like. I like Jesus and I trust him. And so I know that I can trust Jesus with every day of my life and I can trust him with whatever happens after death as well. So why am I a Christian? I'm a Christian. I'm still a Christian because God exists and he showed how trustworthy he is in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Now, there's plenty of people in the world that believe that. But the next question that I ask myself, and, and the convers- part of the conversation I had with Amy, this tattoo artist, is, is what do you do with that? If you believe that, at least at an intellectual level, what, what does that mean for your life? And, and what's the point of church? So that's my second question. Why do I still go to church? Because Christianity statistically is on the decline in the Western world. Why am I still part of a church? And for me, it's it's worse. I'm a pastor, so I have to go to church, which I discovered this week when I came back from holidays. That with many churches shrinking in size, particularly over the last few years, why do I still go to church and why am I still the pastor of a church? Well, my answer, my anchor for this question is because Jesus said the church would be important and significant. He said he was going to build his church and that nothing would stop him. So in Matthew chapter 16, in a conversation with his disciples, he said this to Peter. He said, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, to play on words with his name, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, you might have read this whole passage and whole conversation before. Jesus has asked his disciples, his followers, who, who are you hearing? Who are people saying that I am? As I get around teaching and doing miracles, what are people saying? And they're saying, oh, people say you're a good man. People say you're one of the prophets of old who's come back. You're a great teacher. But then Peter says that you are the Christ, which means you are the promised one, the anointed one sent by God. And Jesus said, it's on this rock, this confession, this acceptance commitment that Peter's just made with his words, on this, I'm going to build my church and all the gates of hell will not conquer it. And they certainly haven't so far which is a pretty good record over 2,000 years. Now the numerical size of the church has certainly gone up and at times has gone down in different parts of the world at different times in history and the worldly power or the worldly significance of the church has gone up and down at different points in history in different places. But Thanks, Richard. Undoubtedly, Jesus has built his church. Since he spoke those words, despite persecution and opposition and the powers of hell, Jesus has continued to build his church. Now, in recent years, the Australian church has shrunk. Less Aussies go to church today than they did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and even further back. And it can feel like we're on the losing team. It can feel like Jesus' words aren't true, like he's given up on us, like the gates of hell are conquering us. But the way of Jesus has always been best lived out by losers. We follow a guy who was executed in the most humiliating way. We follow a king who wore a crown of thorns rather than a crown made out of gold. We are part of a movement that thrives when it's under persecution and when it's under attack. And so when we're in a time and a place like we are today in Australia, where we can feel like losers, we can still be joyful and faithful losers. Because we're on the side of our humble and faithful king. And we know that he will continue to build his church all over the world. But that doesn't mean that every week in every place is going to look more successful or look bigger and better. It means that when we're in numerical decline, we don't need to worry or be afraid or freak out or, or, or feel like we're on a losing side. We can be gracious and we can be humble and we can be joyful as we serve our King. Because we know that in the things that matter, in eternal things, we are not on the losing side. And that's why I still go to church, even when many of my friends have decided not to, because there's something about being together that Jesus said was going to be significant and important. There's something about worshipping him together. There's something about pooling our resources to work together. There's something about serving each other and serving the world that Jesus knew was going to be important and significant, something that he wanted to do and that he is doing. And so my faith and our faith is better because we are here and we gather together. When we talk and pray, and worship, and serve, and give, and challenge, and encourage each other. It's part of Jesus building his church, because the church isn't the concrete blocks. It's the people. Now, we all have a different calling from God for our lives, for our work, or our vocation, or what he wants us to invest our lives into. And and for me, it's a calling to pastor a church. And so whatever your calling is, you should be confident and proud to be doing that thing with Jesus and for him and if any of you ever sense the calling to pastor or to lead a church or to minister in that way you could be proud and confident with that calling even with the way the numbers look sometimes question number three and I'll finish with this this is the one that I ask myself late at night it's probably a question that other people ask about me why is Jeff still at the Lakes church why am I still here it's been 11 years many of my friends don't go to church anymore but but on this particular question relating to this many of my friends have decided to move on from our church to attend other churches many of your friends have moved on to other churches in the last few years so why am I still here at Am I really that stubborn? The answer is that God led me to make this church my home. In 2007, Laura and I were married and we were living on the Gold Coast and we were pastoring a church there and we liked Cairns. It was a nice place, but it wasn't our home. We knew a few people here and over time, God started putting Cairns on our radar so in 2009, we were asked by this church to consider moving the cans and, and joining the team, and at the time, we were like, well, that'd be fun, but we didn't feel like it was what God wanted us to do. Then in 2011, we were again asked by this church to, to come and join the team in a different role, and by that stage, we were like, well, we actually would really like to do that, and that sounds exciting, but we didn't feel like God had opened the door for us to do that, and so we said No. And then again in 2012, the phone rang, this church, with a different role, and I remember that phone call. I can remember where I was, and, and I knew in that moment that it was a yes to move to Cairns. But, but it was, hey, we're thinking about this role, would you like to think about applying? Now, hadn't talked to Laura about it, hadn't prayed about it, hadn't applied, hadn't been interviewed, hadn't been offered a role, but, but it just felt right to me that this was a, a yes to this invitation now a couple of weeks later, coincidentally, we were here in a church service in person, and the worship team started a song in the middle of the service i don 't know second, third song, or something like that. We were sitting just over there, I can remember with our three young kids at the time and i didn 't recognize the song, so i wasn 't singing it I was just looking at the words on the screen as as the team led us in it. And then the chorus started and I realized what the song was. It was our kids' favorite song. Now what would happen is one of our kids at at rest time in the afternoon when they are locked and barricaded in their room and supposed to be having a sleep um, would stand up at the window of their bedroom looking out of the all the other townhouses around our, our place on the Gold Coast and would belt out at the top of their lungs the chorus for this worship song which is just kind of fun and and entertaining for us as parents but I didn't realize until the chorus started that that was the same song that we were singing here in the church service and uh, and so Laura looks over at me and I'm crying and she's like what's wrong with you (laughs) and and I said this is it this is where God's calling us to make our home and that's what he did God led us to make this church our home every home is temporary until we reach heaven So I've always known that one day God would lead us to a new home, a new calling, and that could be tomorrow or it could be in the year 2045. But until that day, I will serve him and I will serve you and with you and give it everything I've got here at the Lex Church. So on the days, and um, let's be honest, there are a lot of these days. When I ask myself why, why am I still here? Why haven't I moved on yet? Why haven't I given someone else an opportunity yet? Why haven't I given up yet? Why am I still at the Lakes Church? My answer is that God called us here and until he calls us on, this will be our home. And through all of the highs and there have been plenty of them. And through all of the lows and there's been enough of them as well with all of you that we love, and even on the days when we have to remind ourselves to love you, we'll be here until God calls us on. And a a, a verse that's been an anchor for us over the last several years is from Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 36. Stood out to Laura one day and she painted it on on a canvas. It says, Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. I'm not sure why you're still here. I'm not sure why you're a Christian, if you are. But I want to encourage you to find your own anchors. To name what your shortcuts, your anchors are, to answer those questions for yourself. Why am I a Christian? Why am I part of any church? And and if this is your home church, why am I here at the Lakes Church? And it could be Bible verses that God has put on your heart. It could be foundational experiences and stories from your past. It could be a sense of calling of who God has called you to serve or what he's called you to do. But what are your answers and your anchors that you can hold on to tightly? As the team comes up and, and we get ready to sing our last song, I want to give you a little bit of time to, to think that through. Now, obviously, I've been working on this message in the back of my mind for a month or so and, and, and had time to write it out. So my answers and my anchors kind of fairly easy to name and to tell and to put on the screen. Um, but if you'd never thought about this before, I just want to give you a couple of minutes head start. Okay, what are my anchors that I can hold on to in the middle of life storms? I'm going to leave some quiet for a minute and then I'll lead us in prayer. God, I thank you that you are real and that you showed us exactly what you're like in the life and death and resurrection of your son. And I thank you that that you are building your church and what we're, we're doing here together is significant in your eyes and you haven't given up on us. And I thank you that you call us to make a church community, our home to love and be loved, to serve and be served and to be part of your body here in this place. And would you help us to be able to name and, and figure out and know what our own anchors are, our shortcuts to you in the middle of life storms, Ask in your name. Amen. Just before we sing, I just have, um, I have one thing to share. Um, and, and many of you know that, that sometimes um, I'll do this. Um, I just have a, a quick picture to share with you. Um, and the way that this seems to work in my ministry is that if what I'm about to share resonates with you or means something to you, um, that that's for you to, to hold on to um, as, as an encouragement from God um, because it doesn't mean anything to me and I don't want to tell you because it's stupid. Um, but as I prayed in preparation for today, I just saw a banana, a bright yellow banana. And if that means something to you about what you've just been talking to God about or something from your life this week, a bright yellow banana, God sees you, And he knows what's going on. And if you want to share, I'd love to sit and pray with you afterwards. Um, But we're going to sing together. Would you join me in standing, please? Thanks, guys.